Scanning. Identity authorized. Welcome to the Secret Superhero Club Podcast Network. Welcome everybody to the Animation Station Podcast, episode 160. My name is Josh, and today I have a very special guest, the one, the only, Karen Strassman. How are you doing, Karen? Hey, Josh. We're episode 160? 160. That is impressive. That is very cool. Thank you so much. Um, Yeah, 160 episodes, uh, and three of them are good. So, and this is one of them. So, that's, uh, we have a, we have a tremendous batting percentage. So, uh, just want to let, you know, let you know that, uh, this is also a show that tangents. So of those 160 episodes, probably, oh, maybe, maybe half of them, we actually stay on topic. So that's, that's a better batting percentage at least. Well, we'll, we'll see which, we'll see which edge we fall over onto. Exactly. Um, now, Karen, so uh, for our listeners who may not be familiar with you, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I am, I'm a, I'm just a person who loves, uh, I, I just love storytelling. I love storytelling and I've made my living for over 30 years as a actress, voiceover artist, and uh, coach. So I do uh, television and film and theater, and as a lot of people who are listening to this, a boatload of voiceover, mm-hmm. all different shapes and sizes and forms. And um, and I started out working as a dialect coach um, oh, more than 30 years ago, and that's kind of branched out into... Um, continuing my dialect coaching business, but also just coaching actors and preparing them for auditions and coaching voiceover and and all of that. And it's it's wonderful because I get to I get to give back. So so yeah. And I uh, I grew up on the East Coast in Washington D.C. And then I moved to Paris and spent 16 years living in France, working as an actor over there. And now I live in Los Angeles and um, and uh, spend every day mostly doing what I love. So I'm a very lucky girl. So so what uh, what took you to France? Um, I wanted to – well, I'm half Danish, so half of my family lives in Denmark, my mother's side of the family. Okay. And, um, I just – I wanted to – I – I was brought up in America, but I was also kind of brought up European, and I was just going through a time when I I wasn't, I was not, like, just trying to figure out who I was and what I wanted in life, and I thought, let me go back home to Denmark and, you know, study over there, and I thought, well, that's silly, that's part of who I am, and I know it, why don't I go to a different country? So, I had been in France um, for a summer when I was 16, Mm -hmm. um, studying there so I knew a little bit of French and I thought let me go to France again because I loved it over there and uh, so I went over there and I spent a year studying and during that time I uh, saw a little notice on a bulletin board in a theater that I was studying at they were looking for American actors to uh, follow an apprenticeship 
as a dialect coach for a French studio that was coaching French actors to act in English for film and television because there's always a lot of co-productions that come over there and mm-hmm. um, you know professional actors need to be able to speak English in order to audition um, for those movies yeah. and TV series. And I answered the ad and it turned out I was very good at it. And so I followed an apprenticeship as a dialect coach there for the, the remainder of that year. And at the end of that year, they offered me a full-time job as one of their main dialect coaches. And I had to make a very difficult decision between staying in this beautiful country, working with actors, doing what I love, or going back to Tufts University in Boston and getting my psychology degree, <laughs> <laughs> which I was doing because I didn't have enough, I didn't, have enough courage and I didn't believe in myself enough to go after acting to begin with. So, um, and from there working as a dialect coach led to me being on TV and movie sets. And then I started getting hired as an actor and, um, I started dubbing French films into English and that led to me doing cartoons and video games. And then I, applied and got accepted to the French National Royal Conservatory of Theater, where I studied French theater um, for a year and um, and just continued taking every class I could over there and doing every play that I could get cast in and movies and television and, and a huge sort of voiceover career also sprung out of that. So that was, that's kind of how some of it started, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, so before you went to France, so you you were uh, you were an actor previously, correct? Or are you, you not, were, profe- you were not professional? Acting. I yeah, I mean, since I was a little kid, I've always just been passionate about acting and theater, and there's really no rhyme or reason for it because nobody in my family or immediate, you know, entourage had anything to do with the business. Um, my dad, my dad was an architect and an artist and my mother was a psychotherapist. And so I just, I just, as a wee little kid, I was making up plays and, you know, in the basement and trying to get people to come watch it. Uh, was Um, there, was there like a, like a TV show or like a movie or like an actor and actress that you really, um, kind of latched onto? Um, the one that I can remember that had the most powerful effect on me, I think, at the time was Little House in the Prairie. And um, I looked a lot like Melissa Gilbert at that time. Okay. I had freckles, but my hair was a little, was more red than hers. Hers was brown. And um, people would always tell me that they could imagine me as Laura Ingalls Wilder um, if I dyed my hair brown. Because I was, I was small with freckles and... Um, and I just, you know, all I wanted was to be her in the TV series. <laughs> um, and then, and then when I got a little older, I um, booked the role of Helen Keller in the Miracle Worker, the play, The Miracle Worker. Okay. Where I don't know if listeners know who Helen Keller is, but she is, um, she's a very, she's a famous woman in history who. Was both blind. Who was born blind and deaf, mm-hmm. and ended up graduating, I believe, from Harvard. And the play, The Miracle Worker, is about when she was a little child and she was, you know, couldn't hear, couldn't see, couldn't talk. So, basically, she was just like an animal, 
and she had no idea that communication existed. And, you know, she was just banging around the house, you know, eating, grabbing food off of people's plates at the dinner. Like she, she didn't know, you know, humanity and communication and relationships really existed. And, um, they called in, they were going to put her in an insane asylum, you know, at the age of, I don't know, nine or something. And cause there, she was unruly and there was nothing else to do with her. And as a last resort, the family called in a nanny whose name was Annie Sullivan to, uh, to try and tame her and make her behave like a domesticated pet. So they wouldn't have to put her in an insane asylum. And what Annie did was she broke through inside Helen's world still makes me cry and she taught Helen that everything had a word and a name so Helen learned that a doll there was a word for doll and that mama there was a word for mama and and she and so this woman Annie Sullivan you know opened up a porthole into Helen's you know enclosed you know animal world and um, it turned out this woman, Helen Keller, had a very, very, very high IQ and went on to graduate from Harvard and become almost a genius. Um, and through Harvard, her this nanny, who became her best friend, would sit and spell in her hand everything that the lecturer was saying um, in sign language. And so it's... Um, and I played Helen Keller when I was... I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Twelve years old, oh, man. and um, everybody couldn't stop talking about the performance, and I just fell so deeply in love with acting. It was like the point of no return. And ever since then, I've just, you know, all I've wanted to do is dive into the souls of other characters and, you know, move people, make them laugh, make them cry, you know, tell stories about human things so uh that was actually going to be one of my uh, uh one of my uh next questions was like how how do you relate to your characters like say if you're doing something like say uh this uh for for this helen keller role uh for the miracle worker did you uh did you do a lot of reading beforehand or like say you say you're you're going to be cast in a role and you're playing somebody do you try to do as much research as you can about that person before you get into it um, like I know you're in Preacher. Did you possibly like, did you read any of the the comics before you actually um, started? Like uh, may, maybe not during the audition, but like after the audition, after you were cast. Every role is different for me, Josh. Okay. I I have like I have a different process for every role I do. When I was a kid, and I did that role of Helen Keller. What I did as when I would get out of school, and you know, I'd go somewhere and get as much homework as I could done, done. And then I'd get to the theater and before everybody else, and I would blindfold myself and put, you know, shove earplugs in my ears. And I would walk around the theater and the set and just try and function without using the senses of sight or, or hearing. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, bump around things and imagine what it was like to be her. Um, and it was less, that was less research, and I think also it was just that was more, you know, I was a kid, so it was more just using my imagination, and it was more a deep sense of empathy, like what would it be like 
to be this person and what would she feel like and what would I feel like if I were her? And I think, I think, I think my biggest tool in my toolbox is, you know, diving into my heart and empathizing with what it would be like to be in that character's circumstances. And if I were them, you know, um, for preacher, I actually didn't spend as much time focusing on the comics as I did. I, I just watched, I watched the whole series, like every, all of the series that had already been done, I made sure to see, you know, every single episode before I got on set. And, you know, as I was developing my character, you know, I saw, I was watching how, you know, Dominic, how he developed his character, how um, Pip worked on his, like I was just looking at all the main, all the main actors and main characters to see how, they sort of evolved their characters and where I could fit in. And then for Dr. Slotnick, Dr. Lois Slotnick, I actually, I actually wrote for myself um, a whole sort of past for her. So I had a lot of backstory for her that nobody else knows about of how she got to the grail um, how she got to where she was, why she was working for the All Father, um, how she became a genius, and what what she want what she wanted. So I just wrote that for myself, her own um, some something that she grew up with in her childhood that led her to search for cures and things. So I she, she I I don't know if she will ever come back to preach or not. Um, I think they're in their last season and they're shooting yeah, in Australia. I, I, yeah, so. I think so. I think that I think so I don't, unfortunately I read that this was the last. Yes, yeah, so I don't think she'll ever come back. Um, uh, you know, who <laughs> know? You never know. But, but you never exactly. But um, never I, but she, I do, I do have a whole backstory for her. Um, just because it helped me for preacher, what was really important to me was because you're playing a cartoon character, you know, you have the license to go really broad, but at the same time, every single actor on that show made their characters so completely believable. You totally forgot that they were cartoon characters and they just felt so real and so human. And I wanted, that's what I wanted for her. I wanted her to feel like she could actually exist, you know, even in her sort of broader form that, you know, that she was a real, you know, multidimensional person. So, uh, so now, now you've uh, been in a in a wide variety of shows, games, um, theater. Um, do you have a specific medium that you enjoy acting in, or or something that you could do, or or a medium that you wish that you would uh, could do more in? Sorry, um, I, fumb- I fumbled around that sentence. <laughs> oh no, I I'll fumble way more than you do in all of my answers. Um. Let's see. I I mean, I just, I really love what I do. And I love each medium for different reasons. Um, there's something about voiceover that is just, I think because I've just spent hours and hours and hours and hours of my lifetime in studios. You know, sometimes I have three sessions a day and then I go and record auditions and you know, being in a studio and in front of the mic is just, it just feels like home to me, you know, 
okay. even if it's a studio that I've never been in before, for some reason, as soon as I'm standing in front of the mic, it just feels like home. And that means license to play, license to let my hair down, um, license to dive deep, license to stretch, you know, and and play with others. Um, I think at this point in my career, one of the most exciting places um, for me is being on a TV or movie set because it's just, there's so much at play when you get on set and there's so many people involved in making one little magic moment. You know, you think, you think of any TV or movie project that starts sometimes years before that in a writer's mind, you know, and they conceive of the project and then they, you know, either somebody's, you know, hired them to write it or they've taken it to producers and other creatives and they finally get a green light after whoever knows how much time then they have to rewrite and then it goes into production and they have to then directors are hired producers are hired you know they start to talk about the style of how it's going to be shot you know then they you know then they build sets they go on location they find locations they hire you know and they build a, sometimes elaborate sets you know, and then wardrobe gets involved and these very talented, you know, wardrobe designers design, you know, a whole look for a show or, a, you know, a film. And, you know, and then they start auditioning actors and that's a whole process. And then the actors get booked and then, you know, you get fitted in wardrobe and you talk about your look and you try and figure that out. And then the day of you you know, you've worked on your lines by yourself and then you arrive in the makeup truck and you create the character and, you know, you come out of the makeup truck and wagon and you've got your, you know, the look for your character, you get into wardrobe and then you arrive on set and you meet all of these people, you know, 20, 30, 50, 100 people, you know, working in the background, you know, doing whatever it is their job is, whether it's a grip, whether it's somebody sitting, you know, in a truck watching the honey wagons, you know, and all of these people are gathering, do, getting paid for their specific expertise and passion. And an actor walks on set and our job is to show up in this, you know, beautifully constructed set or location in these, you know, in a wardrobe that somebody's taken a lot of time to put together, you know, sometimes you sit through an hour to three hours of makeup and then you show up and you shake hands with actors you've never met before. And the, everybody's there. They set up the lights around you. Everything's just perfect. And then they say action. And you, have to make magic that was you you just painted the best word picture like that i've ever heard that was <laughs> i i i didn't say anything i was just sitting here just like biting my fingers i'm like oh my gosh like you you made that sound so invigorating it's so exciting to arrive having you know worked by yourself mostly unless you work with a coach you know on your character and then you get there and you look in the eyes 
of the actors that you're going to be working with. And, you know, I was just on Bosch and the beautiful actress, Christine Horn, who plays a rape victim. And, you know, my job was to prep her for a court case, which you actually never see because they had to cut a whole bunch of those scenes out for time. But, and she just, she looked in my eyes and she was trying not to cry and, you know, I had, my job was to be a solid, you know, deputy and prep, prepare her for this. And I just looked in the eyes of that, you know, was I looking in the eyes of this beautiful actress or was I looking in the eyes of this rape victim, you know, or is it the same person and seeing her pain and, you know, and everybody on set and it's completely silent and you can hear a pin drop and the cameras are rolling and we're having this conversation that was in a script and then we're saying the words and our job is to make it like real life, you know? And and the understanding that when you walk on set between actors is, let's do this. We've never met before, but this, you know, you know, this is an intimate moment, you know, whether we're going to fight or yell at each other or, you know, whether one of us is going to be rude to each other or, you know, whether we're actually going to kiss in the scene and we've never met before, you know, let's go there, whatever it demands, let's go there together. And it's, in many ways, it's, I equate it to, you know, getting on stage with a band, you know, or, you know, having a, you know, showing up for a, you know, a, a soccer team or, you know, basketball or any other sport where you, you know, whether you've played long hours with this team before or whether you're just walking on as a substitute player and you've just met them and you got to figure out what the game is on that field, who's, you know, who is what and jump into your role and commit a hundred percent to, you know, that, you know, to scoring together, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, for me right now, it's just it's it's just really exciting to create those moments live, and there is that same kind of excitement with voiceover. Yeah, it's I, was, just, I, was um, just about, I was just about to ask, like, so with that voiceover, like, how do you? Because I mean, it's very rare that you're going to have that face to face interaction with another actor in yeah. the booth, like it, that. It's, spe- like, it's yeah, unless like, you're doing original like, animation, exactly. And yeah. it seems like we're we're slowly getting away from that, and it's more just you're you're going to have a director. A, a tech person and then you in the booth and that's probably about yeah. yeah yeah either that or like 10 clients either on skype or online or yes or yeah. in the studio you know all giving their opinion and you know, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah yeah we, that's that's pretty much it so you have to you actually you have to imagine in your imagination you know what the other actors around you or whether the other characters around you are saying to you, sometimes the director might read the other characters lines so you can at least hear the words. Um, but it's a lot more, it demands a lot more imagination. Um, and, and motion capture is a really interesting medium too. Your, your fans probably know I just uh, had resident evil to the remake mm-hmm. that came out where I play Annette Bergen and um, and and then recently also I did um, one of the characters for Wolfenstein Two, Maria uh, Laurent, uh, Maria Laurent, because she was French. And uh, what was cool about that one is they actually used my likeness. 
So you can sort of recognize my face in that character, although um, the hair and everything is different. But motion capture is a whole nother form of acting because you're basically hooked up in this whole motion capture suit with this big rig around your head. So like if you look straight, you'll just, this camera is just like right in your eyesight. So, you know, if you have another actor across from you, you're looking at them, but you're also like, you have this camera rigged around your head that's filming your mouth and your face that's right in the way of you looking directly into the other actor. And then you have a mic hooked up to your head that's dangling over your forehead, you know, and everything's tightened onto your head like a headgear. So it feels really uncomfortable, but you can't, so you can't move too much because, you know, you don't want to loosen it up, but you have to have action scenes. And, um, and then you have absolutely no real set around you and no real props. So you're kind of miming everything and, you have to, it's like really like motion capture. I tell people is like when you're a kid in your backyard, you know, with a twig in your hand playing cowboys and Indians, you know, or whatever the equivalent is, you know, or Star Trek or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, like you, totally you're doing that cops and robbers, Star Trek goodness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With a twig in your hand instead of a gun, you know, or, you know, a trash can lid as a shield. <laughs> Um, and we, that's we, exactly we what that motion too. capture is. We, we did that too. <laughs> we also did Jurassic Park, which that was a fun one because that was just a lot of did hiding you? from people. Yeah, <laughs> it was like this person's the raptor, and everybody else has to hide. That's exactly what motion capture is. <laughs> it's like playing Jurassic Park in your backyard without anything that's real, and imagining that's completely real, and everything else, you know, that's completely, you know, like, you know. What's the neighbor's cat doing here? <laughs> it's, it's like, oh no, something else. <laughs> oh no, wait, it's a baby dinosaur. <laughs> exactly. It's like, huh, we shouldn't approach it. One, it could have babies, and two, it could the mom could come back. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Oh man, uh, so so kind of so doing like the voiceover like uh, like the 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 live action if to, for lack of a better word um, yeah, yeah in this scenario and then the mocap uh, but do you have any sort of uh, like fun funny stories or anything about you know maybe something in mocap where you whipped your head around too fast and the whole entire rig fell off or you know just something that, along that that has happened that has happened. All, all that has definitely happened. Um, now this is <clears throat> this isn't a motion capture story, but this is a fun story, um, and it, it it sort of exemplifies how deeply we get into our roles, no matter what medium it is. <laughs> um, actually, this happened this happened in France. I was dubbing. I had a lead role, and I was dubbing this. Um, it was a very popular French movie at the time, starring. Uh, Vanessa Paradis, I guess you call her Vanessa Paradise in um, American. And she was Johnny Depp's ex-wife. And she is actually a famous singer and rock star in France. And I, it was a very intimate film, um, very sort of risque at the time about a young 14 or six year old. It was sort of like a, a Lolita story. Okay. Who falls in love with this older man. This older man falls in love with her and they have a romance. Very French story. Um, and so we spent about a week in the studio <clears throat> dubbing this whole film into English. And so, you know, my, my character, Vanessa, uh, the actress, had all of these 
the whole scene, the whole movie was a two-hander. And so they, she had all of these scenes, the whole movie, with this older actor who's a very famous um, French actor in France. And, and right now I'm forgetting his name, but if I went up on IMDb, I could look it up. Um, and But he's like huge, famous French actor at the time, huge theater actor, was on the royal, you know, French theater, was in all these movies, just huge. You know, it's like the equivalent of, mm, you know, Anthony Hopkins, except he was French, or a very different kind of actor, but like really well-known and esteemed. So we had just had scene after scene after scene together. And um, it was a wonderful, intimate experience. And I think we did a really good job making it come to life. And again, I did what you do, even as you're dubbing, you put yourself into that character's experience and you go there yourself to, even if it's just your voice, you, you go there emotionally, you know, because otherwise audiences won't go there. If we don't go there, our job, whether it's, you know, whether it's to do a cartoon character or, you know, whether it's, you know, a show like Preacher, which is a comic book show, or, you know, whether it's Bosch or, you know, a silly comedy, we need to go there so that the audience can. So, I don't know, cut to like maybe a year later or something. And I was in another voiceover studio. I think I was just sitting in the lobby getting ready or getting a coffee or something, working on another project. And this actor, um, walked in this very well-known esteemed actor and I looked up and I saw him and I just immediately had this rush of, you know, Oh my God, this is my old friend. And I was just so thrilled to see him again. And I jumped up off of the couch with my coffee and I ran over and in France, you don't really hug people, but you, it's called faire la bise and you kiss them on each cheek and you, mm -hmm. you know, so I grabbed him by the shoulders and I said, um, see his name was Jean-Paul. I said, Jean-Paul, quel plaisir de te voir. What a pleasure to see you. And I, I held him by his shoulders and I went up on tiptoe cause he was tall and I kissed his both cheeks and he looked at me just sort of astonished. And, you know, I was a young, young 20 year old at the time or whatever. And, you know, that's kind of nice having a young 20-year-old just, you know, when he was probably in his 60s then. You know, I was just so affectionate, so happy to see him. And he's like, ah, uh, it's very good to see you too. And then they called me into the studio that I was dubbing in and I ran into it. And I was like, you know, oh, wow, so good to see you. And I ran back into the studio. And my heart was just so happy to have seen him again. And as I started to get back to work, I realized oh my God, I've never met this actor before <laughs> was, in my life. I was, I'm thinking, I'm like, wait, you just, you, you dubbed the voice. So you, you've not actually <laughs> met in person. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So, so that's, that's, I, I like that story a lot. <laughs> uh, that, that is, I, I, I bet he's still thinking like, just like, I, that that was the weirdest thing. I, mm. I have no idea who that was. She was very nice, but at the same time, <laughs> who knows? Yeah, a similar thing happened to me with Mel Gibson. Um, I 
was hired to do voices for his film, um, the one about the Aztecs. Um, uh, two, no, two, no, not the not BC. That was that wasn't Mel Gibson, was it? Mm, no, um, no, not that one. Um, um, I don't have my like name and title files open in my brain right now, so. Um, but all your all your listeners are probably going. It's this. It's yeah. this. It's this. Um, you know the film that took place in the Mayan times, um, and we had to we had a coach to speak Yucatec for the film, and um, so I prepped in advance and um, studied you know basics of Yucatec so that I could come in. Apocalypto. There we go. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. It was it was bugging um, me. I was like, there. Oh, I thank you. Apocalypto. <laughs> and um, so you know, I get called in to do you know background characters and you know for different films, many many different films. You know, it's just part of what a working actor sometimes gets to do. And um, I guess I'd forgotten it was his film because I was so focused on the Yucatec. And what's great when you do ADR for a film, um, the background voices, mm-hmm. that's when you do get to work with other actors. So you get to the studio and, you know, there's like sometimes 12 other actors there, or, you know, 11 other actors there or seven other actors there, depending on how many they're hiring or four. And that's when we do get to work together. So instead of just, you know, passing in the lobby, we're all mushed into a studio together doing all of these wonderful background voices to, you know, furnish all of vocally the film. And um, so I got to the studio that afternoon and there was, oh God, these wonderful voiceover actors that I hadn't seen in ages. And, you know, it's like a homecoming and we're all hugging each other. I'm like, you know, oh, Nick, it's so good to see you. I haven't seen you since that thing six months ago. You know, oh, that was so much fun. How are you? Oh, you know, oh, Daisy, oh, so good to see you. Uh, I'm so glad we get to work together. I love your British accent, you know, just, and then there was this other actor, um, I'd forgotten his name, but, you know, and I went up and I just ran up to him like, oh, and I get this huge warm hug. And I was like, oh, it's so good to see you again. I can't wait to start the day. And he's like, uh, uh, you too. And, and I said, oh, okay, I'm going to go get a coffee. And I went over to get a coffee and <laughs> as I was pouring the I almost dropped the kettle because I realized I had just like hugged Mel Gibson like he was my best friend. You never know. Like maybe, maybe <laughs> again, he just been like, again, hey, friend. Just, but these people are so, you know, we just spend so much time, even as audience members, watching them on screen. And then you get to a familiar place where you're working with your peers and you forget sometimes that you've never met these people before. <laughs> oh, man. So. Uh, wow, you're... You you have some fantastic interactions. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um, okay, so kind of kind of going back into into the voiceover because I know that's mm-hmm. what uh, the majority of our wonderful fans want. Um, yes, that's why they listen. Um, yes. So uh, congrats let's, on let's uh, give reprising, them goodies. Uh, reprising your role in Code Geass. Thank you. So, so here, here's here's the question: <laughs> Did you think you would ever be voicing her again? I never did. I thought it was, I thought it was over and I, I fantasized about it, you know, as, as, you know, actors and voiceover artists, we fantasize about things like this. Like, what if, what if Code Geass came back? (laughs) What if Colin, you know, 
Um, and um, what if Zero never died? And and Code Geass came back. And um, and I I have such wonderful memories of that series. It was so much fun. Um, so much fun. And something when we were recording Code Geass, that's sort of a, a fun trivia thing, is that the director, Kevin Seymour, who is a wonderful, wonderful director, um, he used to play his cat videos in, during the breaks. Um, he, um, he wouldn't tell, he wouldn't tell the cast members the story and he wouldn't tell me what was going to happen. So I never knew. And I always had to play the present moment as the present moment, which for those fans who know Kogias, you know, that the present moment is never necessarily what it seems with, yeah. especially with Colin, you know, and he's like, no, just play it as this moment. And so he really forced me, you know, to not anticipate anything, to not show Colin's cards, you know, to really play it like that moment so that the audience members would really believe each moment as it was and then be really surprised when, you know, there were these plot turns, which I thought was brilliant of him. And, and it was really fun, too, because in that way, I, you know, I couldn't wait to see what was going to happen next. Yeah. You know, if, if you're not allowed to know, then you want to know even more. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so when then I heard that there were rumors of the movie and I started getting pings on social media from fans going, you know, so, you know, if we heard about this movie. Are you going to be voicing it? Is it happening? Is it real? And... Um, you know, and I would just go, I don't know, I wish, I hope, I don't know. And um, and then one fine day, only a few months ago, I got that wonderful call. Hey, Karen, would you be interested in reprising Colin and Code Geass? And you were like, nah, I'm good, thanks. I'm like, <laughs> mm, let me think about it, yes. <laughs> Please. Oh, man. Um, so that was, that was, and, and. It was real. It's and again, when you re- get to reprise a character after all that time, it's literally like it's literally like finding a friend again, and getting you know, and all the other characters like hearing Yuri's voice and you know <clears throat> Johnny's voice and you know all these voices that are so familiar and hearing mm-hmm. them all again and you know even if we're not working directly with each other, you know I get to hear their voices sometimes in my headset. And it's just, it's like being home again in that universe. So it was so much fun. <laughs> so uh, so you said uh, uh, the fans were reaching out to you on social media about Kogias. Mm-hmm. And, and you've been in um, a lot of really popular anime and video game franchise and series like Persona, Sonic, Bleach. Um, like, have, do you have any memorable fan interactions? Um, I... I mean, I have so many in a way. Um, I mean, <laughs> I know it's it's a tough guess, question. Guess, it's a tough question. Well, well, there's different kinds of memorable fan interactions. Like, you know, I have an extremely memorable fan interaction of this very sweaty guy <laughs> who, with a hairy chest, who took off his shirt and asked me to sign his chest. And he was sweating, and it was very hard to find a place to write that he didn't have chest hair. So I, mm. I will never forget that moment. Um, 
but there are other moments when, um, like this one fan who came to me, who came to me and told me that, you know, shared with me that she was autistic and that, um, the character of Igis was like a best friend to her because she felt the same way as Igis did that, you know, Igis was a robot, but wanted to learn how to feel and feel human emotions the way a human does. Mm -hmm. And she said that she just always so related to Igis and it just, there's those kind of interactions happen all the time. I have fans who write to me like from different places, like a lot of fans who will write to me from the hospital saying that because of quarantine or whatever, they're not allowed to have friends who come so that some of the games that they play or anime, like our characters become, you know, their best friends. And they'll say, you know, if it wasn't for, you know, Anna or Olivia or Nanako, you know, whatever, that I couldn't have made it through those six weeks in the hospital. And it just like, I, I'm just so humbled by that. I have a wonderful, memorable fan moment that you can, you guys can actually look up on YouTube where, um, I forget which con it was, but, um, there was a little girl who was dressed up like Nanako and she was like the spitting image of Nanako from Persona. And her parents had just, you know, created this perfect costume for her. I mean, it just looked like she stepped right out of, of the series. And she came up to me and her parents said, she wants to sing the Juness song. Would you sing it with her? Uh-huh. And somebody videotaped us singing Juness together and every like everybody just like 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 every like time stood still and everybody like in the autograph section or wherever we were like a pin dropped and everybody just gathered around and the two of us were just like joyously singing the Juness song and so and it's it's on it's on um YouTube somewhere and, it, I, and I will like, try and people find were that crying afterwards because it was so adorable oh man <laughs> Yeah, I, I will definitely try and find that and pop that in the show notes. <laughs> oh, that's, that's um, awesome. Yeah, and then just like, yeah, just fans coming up and telling me, you know, that they spent hours playing this one character and, you know, just I, and I just, you know, I just feel like I'm lucky enough to be in the studio getting to do what I love. And then when I talk to fans and hear how much some of the characters sometimes mean to them. I'm just, I'm just humbled, you know, I'm just humbled. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, uh, before, before we, um, before we start and end, do you have any, any words of wisdom or encouragement to anybody that is trying to be an actor? Um, I would say do as much theater as you can. I'd say, take acting classes and do theater because whether it's you want to be a theater actor, an on-camera actor, or a voiceover actor, the most important thing is to learn how to get inside the skin of a character because even if you're just doing voiceover and you, and people think it's just about the voice, you actually have to really go there and really 
dive into that character's experience and, you know, what are they experiencing and what, you know, what's it like for them to, you know, see their long lost brother who they thought was, you know, died in a, you know, being hit by a spaceship and here he is again, you know, you, you really need to, to work your imagination and your ability to really listen to the given circumstances or what the other actor gives you and that like the best thing for that is to do as many plays as you can take theater classes acting classes and then yeah branch out to voiceover classes um and and i would say i would say to anybody whatever you want to do i would just encourage people to really, really trust your gut and trust your heart. I think we live in a society where, you know, because there's so much social media out there and there's a lot of stuff out there about how you should do things or, you know, and I think there's a lot of parental pressure like you should do this this way or you shouldn't do this way or this isn't good or, you know, but I think also just in terms of society, I think it's very easy in our day and time to get wrapped up in what other people say or the image of something instead of really listening to those those heartstrings. Because when we listen to it, it's almost like a music, you know, and sometimes those heartstrings are forceful, you know, and they come in like a whoosh of energy and, you know, even, you know, really forceful. And sometimes it's very soft and gently intense and sometimes it's really scary for us to listen to our own intuition and ourselves because it we don't know what to make of it or what to do with it and i think that we have our own paths programmed into us and especially if you're interested in any artistic profession you know an actor you know a performer a composer you know uh, painter, you know, designer, you know, animation uh, artist, it's so important to listen to our own instinct and our own heart. And what does this look like for me? Um, And I would say also, it's really, really important to not let fear stop you Mm -hmm. and to take risks. Um, I let fear stop me for a very long time because people told me that I wasn't pretty enough to do on camera and I wasn't like charactery or, or, you know, funny looking enough to do like character acting. And so I, I really believed, oh, I'm not pretty enough to do what I love. Oh, I'm not interesting enough looking to do what I love. And none of that was true. It was just some people said that and I... I might like my little fear hooks hooked into that and believed it to be true. And there's nothing there. It's not true. And one of, one of the things that would give me so much pleasure in rising in already having the success that I have, but rising to even more success is to prove that what other people say does not rule our reality. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, you know, if, you know, if, you know, there's things that are impossible, like, you know, I'm like, oh, I want to jump out of a building and fly, 
you know, like that's, yeah, I would not, there are laws of gravity and I can't do that. So, you know, I I would have to like have a helicopter or what, you know, like there's laws of gravity and laws of reality, but you know, but there's a lot of things that stop most of us that actually are just in our minds or because somebody else said them and we, for some stupid reason, our silly, you know, mind decided to believe it and give it power. And so I would say really watch how our minds and what we choose to believe or the power that we give that other people say, you know, and I, and I would say, have the courage to take risks Mm -hmm. and to be bigger than you think you are and to be what you believe in your heart of hearts you can be, even if in the present moment, it doesn't look like it. Um, and I think that's a hero's journey. And I think in order to get to live to the things that we dream to live. And I, and by dream, I don't mean fantasize like, well, my fantasy about code Geass came true, but I mean like realistic, like, yes, like my, my personal passion is to prove to people that, you know, something that seems very difficult is possible is to prove to people that if you work hard and put your heart in something and, you know, just learn all kinds of skills and, devote yourself to something, you can make something happen, you know? And I think, and I think that there's this, you know, cliche saying that, that the, you have to become the person that you're going to become in order to make, you know, your dream come true. Like who you are today, you have to grow through that into who that person is. And, so life is constantly making us grow and yeah. don't be afraid of that and go for it, you know? That's, uh, that's and, fantastic advice. And I, and I would just also say, do whatever you can to help other people reach their dreams because I believe that how we get anywhere we want to go is by supporting each other. And I also believe that nobody, somebody else's success will never take away from our own success so the more that we support other people, um, the more that we will rise together to our dreams. I, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. That's, yeah, 100%. I agree. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Karen, this, this has been super fun. Cool. And, and very enlightening. Oh, cool. Um, now, uh, do you have any future projects that you're allowed to share with us? Um. Let's see. There are a couple that I can talk about. One is there is a super cool, awesome movie coming out called the Playmobil movie. And it's going to be doing sort a of Playmobil movie. Mm-hmm. Oh my the trailer goodness. is already out. You can look it up online and it's going to be to Playmobil with all the Lego movies have been to Lego, except yeah. that this one um it's in the trailer, so I'm not giving anything away. They're combining live action and animation. And the director is just extremely talented. Um, and his name is Lino DeSalvo. And I was hired um, as a casting consultant, and I cast all of the supporting roles. I didn't cast the lead leads, who are all um, stars, but I mm-hmm. cast all of the supporting roles in the movie and I actually have two supporting roles in it myself and it's going to be a really fun movie like for all ages 
That's um, awesome. I yeah, I so, didn't even know that that was coming out. So, mm-hmm, huh? Mm-hmm. And then. I have a lead, and this is now we're going to swing to the complete, and now for something <laughs> completely different. I have a lead in Tom Six's new movie, The Onania Club. And um, for those fans who may or may not know Tom Six, I'm sure the movie series, um, The Human Centipede, probably rings a bell. So he has a new, very bold um, and daring movie coming out and i have one of the leads in that movie so that's going to be very exciting when that comes out yeah definitely Um, a complete 180 from playmobil probably offend (laughs) quite a number of people um and i it's i'm I'm really actually very proud of this movie and i'm very excited to see the response and then i can't talk too much about this but there is um something else horror slash kitsch related that I have a very, very fun role in that involves, hmm, I think I just have to say really fun kitsch horror that will be coming out sometime later this year. And I will be able to announce it sometime later this year, but I'm really excited about that. Um, and otherwise, people can see the new movie Code Geass, which will hopefully be coming out. We, it, the, it screened in movie theaters, yes. I think, already. And I'm not sure where it will be coming out, but look for that um, because it's real. It's really fun, and people have really been enjoying it. And um, Bosch is on. I'm on Bosch right now. You can watch Preacher, I think, online. And uh, and. Resident Evil 2 has recently come out, and people are really enjoying that. I've been getting so much good feedback from that. So I think those are all the things I can talk about right now. Um, I know that... Uh, there was the the Sonic Team Racing just came out. I think Sonic Team Racing just came out. Just came out yesterday. So and you're and you play Rouge the Bat. I play Rouge the Bat. Yes. Oh, that's right. Thank you for announcing that. Um, a really new, cool uh, anime series called Cells at Work is also oh, coming yeah, out, yeah. and I'm the narrator voice on that. Really? Um, that's yeah, awesome. yeah, I mean, which is really sweet. A lot of the people that um, I follow and a couple of the people that I know they've been cast as people. I'm like, oh, that's really mm-hmm. cool. I didn't know that that was. Mm-hmm. That's congratulations mm-hmm. on being the narrator. Thank you. You're doing a lot of work. <laughs> and Hunter X Hunter is still going strong, which has been super fun. And I play a crazy character in that, which playing crazy characters is one of my favorite things to do. So, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff out there. <laughs> um, now, if uh, people want to, uh, you know, keep in touch with some of the things that you're going to be in, where can they follow you social media wise? You can follow me on Twitter. I always put as much news as possible on Twitter. Twitter is at Karen Strassman. Um, anybody who tags me in anything, if if you've got fan art and you tag me in it, I will re- I'll repost anything like that. I'll answer questions, um, any anything that I can. And I am on Instagram. Same thing. If you tag me in stuff, I'll respond. Um, and you can also see pictures of my kitty Juno there and I try and post all the news. I also, I also give classes. So I travel to different, different places in the United States right now 
doing conventions, but also giving classes and workshops. So you can watch out for that. Um, I'm giving a series of classes in um, in the Bay Area right now. The next one I think is going to be a dialect uh, workshop. And then you can catch me on um, my Facebook fan page, which is Karen Strassman fan page. And uh, and I also respond to if you want to send me, you know, messages there and ask questions there. I try, I try and get to all these places and and uh, always answer everybody's questions and stuff like that. And again, if there's anything, any fan art, anything like that, I'll I'll always repost so that people, people, other people can appreciate. Um, I just I love seeing artists work, so I will repost as well. Nice. And, uh, and we'll put all those links in the show notes. So if you want to um, follow uh, Karen, you can just click on those uh, show notes and it'll take you directly to everything that she has. Um, you can find the, well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Josh L. Kane. You can find the podcast on Instagram at Animation Station Podcast, on Twitter at Animate Podcast. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Tumblr. Um, I would recommend if you're going to try to get in contact with a, a contact with us, shoot us a, a message on either Instagram or Twitter. That's our, you know, I check those the most mainly is, is what I'm going for there. Like we, we those are the ones that get constantly checked. Um, all of our episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, and on our website, animationstationpodcast.com. Karen, thanks again so much for coming on. This was, this was really, really fun. My pleasure, Josh. Thank you. Oh, no problem at all. And we'll have to meet when I'm actually out in L.A. I maybe, would love maybe that. Maybe we can and... grab a coffee. Well, well and, and I say that I don't, I don't drink coffee, so that would <laughs> be a little bit different. Like, yeah, who knows? Um, but whatever you drink, <laughs> let me let me know when you're out here and if we can meet up, great. But even even if not, Josh, if there's anything that I can do to support you – in any way, shape, or form, just let me know. You oh, know. Thank you. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. It sounds. It sounds. <laughs> it sounds like you're really talented. It sounds like you're really hooked up. It would be my pleasure to help you hook up in this community. You know, you sound like you're all about supporting other people. You know, and there's again, there's certainly tons of room for you know more talented, you know, good-hearted humans in this business, and then I you're one of them. Agree. It sounds I like. So. Agree. Well, not, not that I'm one of them, but I completely agree that there's definitely room for everybody. Oh, man. So, yeah, let, let, me, know, let me know when you're out here and, and uh, you know, let me know whatever I can do to support you, you know? Definitely will do. Thank you so much, Karen. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so for the I hope anime, I didn't oh, babble. And I, hope, and I hope I didn't babble on too long. Oh, no, I get so you passionate. are totally fine. Um, all right. But, alas, we must say adieu. So, uh, for the Animation Station Podcast, I'm Josh. Oh, I'm Karen. (laughs) Bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye.